You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, a podcast for music fans where musicians and friends share some drinks and talk about the top 12 songs of the year without all that technical jargon. Join us for episode 67. This week, we'll discuss the best songs of 1990. Let's take a second to remember 1990. The first web server was created, essentially creating the World Wide Web, Exxon Valdez oil spill, and East Germany and West Germany are now just Germany. New TV shows included In Living Color, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Beverly Hills 90210. Canceled TV shows included Miami Vice, Open House, Charles in Charge, and Pee-wee's Playhouse. Top movies included The Hunt for Red October, Pretty Woman, Days of Thunder, Goodfellas, and Home Alone. As for the music, some really outstanding songs from multiple genres. For that, let's turn it over to your host, Rob Heitman, and the Fresh Prince of Newhall, Jacob <laughs> Newkirk. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where I rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 songs from 1990. While discussing that year's music and pounding back a few drams, I'm Rob. And I'm Jake, representing Newhall. <laughs> the Fresh Prince right there. <laughs> We'd like to give a shout out to everybody who's been active on Facebook. While we can't give a shout out to everyone, I'll call out just a few this week. Alex Hennon, Michael Smith, Danielle Halverson, Bradley Cox, and Jill Slusher. Thank you so much for listening. And I really appreciate you being part of the community. So, Jake, what do you remember about 1990? What stood out to you from that list? Yeah, a lot of that stuck out. What a pivotal year. Like, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, the interesting thing was how could the web start? But yeah. the internet was around. But the World Wide Web. Meaning the, the address, the, like the, the WWW? First web, no, the actual pages. It was all oh, like all yeah. text and you have to be a real geek and get on the bulletin boards yeah. and all that stuff. And it had to load. You had to wait for all the pictures to load. When and, and the, the weird thing is like you kids are listening and will never appreciate mm -hmm. the connection that I had to use for the internet was the main phone line to the house. Oh, yeah. And if my mother picked up to dial her, her mother or somebody... It would knock me offline. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that, like, dialing up in the crazy fax machine sounds and stuff, yeah. screeching at you? Yeah, that's crazy. Obviously, some good movies, like Goodfellas is just, like, one of the best ever. Yeah. And for Christmas time, which we're recording this around, yeah. Home Alone is a staple in my house. Mm. So, it's a goofy kid thing, but it's really fun. Yeah, especially when you revisit it, it's a little bit nostalgic and everything. Have you seen the new one? No, I refuse. It's so good. It's is, it, is it good? Surprisingly funny because it tips its hat to the original. And I can tell you how and what ways, but it's clever, really well written. And this, we keep saying like, this is going to be an annual tradition now to watch this one. It's that good. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Give it a try. Give it a I try. I thought it was going to be a woke catastrophe. I know. I thought so too, but it's, it's very good. Okay. Well, hey, we it's learned something. Plug. Yeah. That's a little plug. Check out that new, that on Disney, right? It's on Disney, I think. Yeah, yeah. Disney, the new Home Alone movie, whatever it's called. Yeah. Little British boy. Home Alone with a British boy is what it's called. <laughs> Home Alone British Edition. <laughs> yeah. uh, I heard the kid wasn't likable. That's what I heard. He wasn't as likable. Yeah, as, he was kind of, kind of annoying. Yeah, but that's because he's British, I think. <laughs> yeah. We love all the British people out there. But by the way, I'm addicted to British stuff. You know what I started watching? This is a complete sidebar. I, I watched the Drive to Survive, the F1 thing on Netflix. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about And that. I was watching and watching and watching it. And I'm on like season three, and there was an F1 race two weeks ago. And I just flipped it on, and I watched it. I was glued because I knew all the characters. Mm -hmm. And I knew it. Yeah, and I was people. like, oh, my God, this is great. And they're coming down to the end. And then this week... They had the craziest F1 race. It came down to the wire for the championship for the year, and a lot of weird things happened. But yeah, that's it's so funny how a, how a show 
brought me into a whole nother sport. Right. Anyway, let's play our little ditty. Join me in a belt of scotch. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, but I haven't slept in days. Hey, we're drinking today Noble Oak, <laughs> Double Oak Bourbon, which is bourbon whiskey finished in Sherry Oak Staves. It's about 90 proof, and it's green, I guess, because it says every bottle plants a tree. So I think that's wonderful. Oh, green. I was holding up. I'm like, I don't see any green in this. <laughs> No, thankfully it's not green. <laughs> it really has sort of an orange hue. Probably a product of my lighting. Nice copperish hue. Mm, tastes really good. Like I was saying, the right amount of sweetness there. You can taste the sherry, but it's not dominating. Yeah, definitely solid and has all the bourbon notes you would expect. Mm -hmm. Plus the little hint of sherry and worth a drink. It's not pricey, so definitely check that out if you're out looking for a bourbon and you see it. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs of 1990, and we'll share around 20 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, then we may do a second clip. We have made Spotify playlists, just search Best Songs of 1990 to listen to our list. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the artists we discuss. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast, so subscribe once and always be updated. We decided to link a song with the year the album was released because songs can chart in multiple years and we felt this was the best way to avoid duplication over all the podcasts. The way this works, we combine our individual top 12 lists with a lightly weighted media list combined from sources all over the web to create our official Dirty Dozen for 1990. We'll count down the official list from 12 to 1, <clears throat> nice and simple. But before we get going with the list, we'll each talk about a song that wouldn't be in our top 12 but we'd still like to discuss. We call this our song of note. So Jake! What's your song of note, my brother? So 1990, I was 10 years old. Simpsons was huge. I mean, it's still huge, even more to this What's day. What's The Simpsons? Is that a show on TV or yeah, something? Yeah, you may have gotten It's a little <laughs> an animation, adult animation. Adult but, animation? <laughs> what? This That's is... a liberal household right there. <laughs> but, um, I know what you mean, yeah. So at that, this time, there was a an album that came out, or a tape that I owned, and it was The Simpsons Sing the Blues, which I think... The more I talk to people, they're like, oh, I had that tape. I had that tape. I had that tape, yeah. too, yeah. And it's so crazy because it was just really good. And this was one of the tapes that I listened to every day over and over. It really held its own musically, I feel like. It wasn't just this sort of like, oh, the Simpsons voices the singing. The Born so. Under a Bad Sign is my favorite. Yeah, the album. bluesy one. I know. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like there were, It exposed me to things I didn't even know at the time in terms of the, the songs that were there. But there were a lot of good songs that I picked to do the Bartman just because... That one is nostalgic just because of, you know, it's Simpsons. It was from an episode. Don't have too. a count, man. Yeah. And it was like, come on, who didn't know at that time yeah, of, yeah. of that song? And what's kind of cool about this song was co-written by Michael Jackson and he sang on it and produced it. So you can tell like, you know, the the attention and the effort that was put into to a lot of this. Yeah, there was. it's written by this guy, Brian Lauren. And mm. we worked with like, you know, Whitney Houston, Barry White and all of people in uh, Motown pretty much. And. There was always that speculation that Michael Jackson actually wrote it under his name. He didn't want to really be totally yeah, associated rumor, with it. Yeah. But he evidently didn't. At least that's the guy is taking it to his grave. That <laughs> that's not the case. And you can't really ask Michael anymore. So there you go. Yeah. And it was actually sung by the actual Simpsons. Yeah, Natalie Cartwright. What's her name? <laughs> uh, Natalie Portman? <laughs> no, it's Nancy, Cart Nancy, Nancy Cartwright. Nancy Cartwright. I was yeah. going to say Natalie Cartwright. <laughs> One of those. Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. And it got, actually got some play on radio. So, mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if it's a good song, but it got some play on radio. It's a novelty song. I was, exactly, yeah. And like we said, the, the album itself, there was just something about it. You hit play and it was, uh, you just listened to the whole thing. Or at least I did. Like I said, I would every day listen to this at least once. If not, just keep flipping the tape over for those who remember tapes. Okay, for all you people who want to jump back to 1990, here's the perfect song to do it. Mm -hmm. A little Simpsons fun 
with Do the Bart Man, Jake's Song of Note. I got a dance real easy to do. I learned it with no rhythm and so can you. Ooh, so move your body, get out the nation. Front to back in a rock-like motion. Now that you got it, if you think you can. Do it to the music, that's the Bart Man. All right, that was Do the Bartman by The Simpsons. <laughs> Jake's song of note. <laughs> How silly. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's That's good. why it's a song of note. I love that song. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to go in another direction, but it's kind of a silly song anyway, but in a more adult fashion, I guess. Um, let's just set the scene, which is something that's kind of scary. <laughs> you know, 1990, I am, I'm not quite at the clubs yet, but I will be in a couple of years. And the music of 1990 still played in said clubs. Mm-hmm. And the one that I always loved was a song called The Humpty Dance. Oh, yeah. Which was by Digital Underground off of their Sex Packets album. And oh, my God, I just remember it being so huge and big at parties. And it was being on the East Coast. I don't know about here. You, yeah, you familiar it with it? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the horns and the female background the singers are really good. I just love some of his lines. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I called you fat. Look at me, I'm skinny. skinny. Yeah, but I'm still getting busy. You know, all that stuff. And I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. <laughs> I'm st- you know, it's all that stuff. My nose is large. In '69, my nose will tickle your ear. You know, all that <laughs> stuff. It was actually created by the guy called Shock G, Shock who's G, yeah. in uh, Digital Underground, who created this Humpty Hump character, and they had all of these names. Oh, the aliases? The- yeah, whatever he interviewed him, he would say, what's his real name? It was like, well, it's actually Eddie Humphrey or Eddie Humphreys. Yeah. Or the funniest one he ever said, he said, Edward Ellington Humphreys III. <laughs> but yeah, he wears that fake nose and everything. Yeah, I loved it. Thing. Yeah, it was like that brown. I think that was like a, a brilliant move to put on the fake glasses, the nose with the brown one. So yeah. it like matches the skin tone. And his vocal delivery, like he's not a... It's not a voice that you would expect to be rapping, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. works with everything. And it was just, yeah. And I remember everyone, maybe it was just my age too. I don't know. But at the time it was just kind of funny, silly, but also like innuendos and everything. Oh yeah. It was just a little super, naughty. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah it, you know, being that age, it's just this, this song was it. And uh, the interesting thing I didn't know is, you know, who was a member of Digital Underground? Was it Tupac? Tupac Shakur, yeah. yeah. I do remember hearing that. And actually, you know how they dance in the video, right? Mm-hmm. They try to do that on stage. They have one hype guy do- dancing next to him. Yeah. And the other guy on stage who used to dance and do the do the Humpty dance with him was Tupac. Oh, yeah, he's in the, <laughs> the video. The other guy was doing the dance. He was doing it like for him. And hey, well, they did it live. Not, I, I don't think it was in the video. but Right. Oh, okay. But still, it was just interesting to see that's Tupac bragging doing rights dancing. to yeah. come from there. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, yeah, Digital Underground actually played a lot on Tupac's albums. Kind of interesting. I had no idea. Interesting sidebar. Uh, I don't know if everybody's familiar with it, but you should be. You better be. It's a fantastic. Yeah. I had this on my list and it got bumped out, but I'm glad you. Yeah. Yeah, it there. That was one of the ones when I was like going through the years. I'm like, oh, yeah, for I have sure. to put it. But I'm like, hey, can I put it in the top 12? I'm like, no, let me put I it know. there. Especially because so. there's a lot of noteworthy rap songs, I think, yeah. around this time. There so. could be. Stay tuned, people. Yeah. <laughs> wink. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See <laughs> no more. All right. Let's listen to my song of note. Dippity, dampity, dampity, do. The Humpty Dance is coming through. I don't know. That was a Woody Dupu entry. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> that was really bad. All right. Let's listen to the... <laughs> I just visualized Winnie the Pooh doing this. <laughs> we must do the hump. We must do the hump, yeah. rabbit. <laughs> Humpin's what tiggers do best. <laughs> Someone needs to make a music video with it. Yeah. Oh, bother. <laughs> yeah. I was doing the hump. 
Give me some honey or hump. Or the honey dancing. <laughs> All right, let's listen to my song of note, The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. I like the girls with the boom. I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. I'm crazy. Allow me to amaze thee. They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me. I'm still getting in the girls' pants, and I even got my own dance. The Humpty Dance is your chance to do it All right, that was my song of note, The Hauntings. <laughs> so much fun. Good pick. So now we're ready for the main event. Hey, we're going to do the main event here. We're going to be doing the Dirty Dozen. And we're going to jump right in to a wonderful song. Because it's on my list. <laughs> number 12. I, I was the only one that had this on my list. The media did not. Oh. Jake did not. But it was my number six overall. And it's by an Australian band called ACDC. Oh. Off of the Razor's Edge. And the name of the song is Thunderstruck. I love the endurance Angus has in the song. It is nuts crazy. Yeah, it's a busy uh, guitar lick, huh? He No, he plays it with mm. one hand the whole time. Yeah, it's just hammer-ons, right? Hammer-ons. Actually, when he recorded in the studio, you know what he did? He taped down all the guitar strings except for the B string so he could do it without fretting the other notes. So it sounded really good on the track when he was recording. He doesn't do that in concert. I thought that would be kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Angus is phenomenal just from doing that the whole time and his solo isn't like crazy but it's kind of like oh i can stop doing this for a minute <laughs> yeah take a little it, breather it goes to the chorus too you don't really realize that it's kind of under the track is always there it, 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 no because he's playing it the whole time yeah. and oh my hmm. god malcolm really steps it up all those heavy guitar chords are all malcolm mm -hmm. yeah it's the balls too this is what angus said okay <laughs> it started off as a little trick i had on guitar i play, i played it to mal and he said oh i've got a good rhythm idea that would sit well in the back so we took the song from that and we fiddled around with it for months and months and everything fell into place. This song is an endurance test. I had to sit down for an hour to make sure I can, mm. my fingers are warmed up so I can even play it. It's got unrelenting intricacy. You're trying to say it in an Australian accent, but it sounds British. <laughs> well, oh, he's actually British, but that's a whole other story. Oh, he is? Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. even know. I'm... Yeah, only Mark Evans and Phil Rudd are actually Australian. The rest are all from the UK. They all met in Australia and that's where they got together. But oh, they were like okay. Brits who moved to oh, Australia. Okay. And they happened to meet there, and that's where they started off. And the cool thing about this is it's not only a song. There's an awesome story that goes with it, which is something that I always love. In 2012, Iran was happily working on their nuclear project when they were hit with a virus called Stuxnet. And it took down the whole system, and it crashed their whole research for the nuclear program. But one of the side effects was, and here's where we get to the ACDC part, and when the virus hit, it started playing Thunderstruck as loud as it could all through the building. That's badass. <laughs> so, I didn't know that. Yeah, played on top volume and they couldn't shut it off. America. <laughs> so they, they blow it up and they ruin everything. But Yeah, they get serenaded by this. Yeah. You know, it's almost like torture for them. That's too cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Any thoughts on Thunderstruck? It's a good song. And with ACDC, I like them, but I don't love them. And I, th I think it's a guitar player's band. But I, you know, I know some Germans love it too. But either way, yeah, good song. And I think the video was really cool too. How the camera perspective on the neck of the guitar and the drumstick. There was no GoPros back then. Right. Yeah. It's basically what that someone would do nowadays with a GoPro. So. And they actually had like a plexiglass section of the stage where they would shoot up underneath, mm. which worked really well for ACDC. Not so much for the Spice Girls, but <laughs> it was really good. Uh, but no, but the, the camera angles that they got were yeah. pretty amazing. It was at Brixton Academy, I think. 
in London where they right. shot it. But yeah. Yeah. Good video. Pretty awesome. And I think it's one of those staple songs that is, like, when I played it for my youngest daughter, she knew what it was because it's that pervasive in the culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's familiar no matter what. Right. So let's listen to the number 12 song overall for 1990, Thunderstruck by ACDC. Let's listen. That was number 12, Thunderstruck by ACDC. Yeah. I was talking to Jake mm-hmm. during the song. And Bon Scott, you know, he created the sound. You know, Brian filled in with that sound and did it. But he had a little bit more range, I think, than Bon. And I hate to yeah. make a bad male or something. But he did. And it's a fuller attack. And, of course, it's based on, you know, what Bon Scott did before. So, it's based off of that. But Brian Johnson kind of did it plus... And, mm-hmm. he, and he made it better, I think. Yeah, he took that model and kind of stepped up. And, and like we're saying, even just the power behind what he's doing, that voice. Because to be able to hit some of these notes is one thing, but then to deliver it with that, it's something else. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, so let's jump from number 12 to number 11. Surprisingly, it's not on my list and not on the media's list, and it's somebody's number six. Oh, okay, man. Oh, that would be Jake's, of course. And this is by the Damn Yankees, which is, as a Met mm-hmm. fan, I can totally appreciate off of the album Damn Yankees. <laughs> and it's the song is Coming of Age. And Jake, take it away, my friend. All you have to know is it's a band with the Nuge on lead guitar. It's a great super group that I didn't really take notice of until a little bit later on. And everyone knows uh, the song high enough, or at least you, you think you've heard it right with some ballads and everything. But something about Coming of Age is also familiar. I think even people don't realize it's like, oh, this is Damn Yankees. A good tune. It just rips listening back to it again doing the homework for this i was like yeah this is a solid tune and the lead on it it's just really cool and and it worked its way up to number six and i was surprised that it even made it that high on my list but it was shocking to me too (laughs) yeah i bet but there's something because i just tried to think of that snapshot of the 90s and this was one of those songs that kind of um yeah i mean the the guitar intro in the beginning kind of really sets it up and i think that's very distinctive yeah the verse really gave me like this 80s hair metal it, yeah it does because it's and just it, coming out of just that for a space. second i was like wait does this warrant uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then the chorus came in it was more like rat which is actually my favorite <laughs> part of the song <laughs> oh, no. but and the guitar ted is great to your yeah. point his phrasing is not hair band it's more like a 70s feel yes. in the middle of this which right. is kind of cool yeah i can understand nugent but was the world really calling for a night ranger stick yeah, smash totally. up yeah, i know it doesn't really make sense and I, I hesitate to even say super group because i mean sure they're established in their own bands and everything but they're not really like these legendary rock bands that you would say or at least that we might kind of point that towards but it's just kind of neat that it happened and they all came together and i think what they made collectively was kind of noteworthy no no totally with you and uh you know with jack blades is from night ranger by the way mm-hmm. and uh, tommy shaw is from Stakes. Tommy shaw yeah so yeah i don't know <laughs> super group your point yeah I don't, I don't know but uh you know they just started jamming and it came up with the song and went through it and it'd be kind of fun to te- to jam with ted right that, who isn't right? going to be in a band with ted nugent you know? nobody would that's why any band that ted nugent's in is a super group. yeah did you ever watch <laughs> super group on vh1 when they did that the reality show i i saw the one with i don't think nugent was in it but this one had scotty in 
okay. from Anthrax. Oh, this is a different one. Okay, yeah. Okay. Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard, which not many people know the bass player. Then it had Jason Bonham on drums. Oh, wow. Okay. And Ted Nugent was in the band. And then Sebastian Bach was the singer. Oh, my god! You never saw this? I, no, I did It was not. on VH1, like, all the time. And I would watch it, and then the same episodes would be Oh, on. so it wasn't a contest. It was just the life of no. the supergroup. They all showed up to this mansion, not knowing who was in this group that the, that the execs put together. They had to, like, write an album or, like, some songs and then perform in two weeks at Las Vegas. So they're all, like, living together, and they, like, bump heads. You know, Nuge is not like a lot of these other guys, but they all respect each other. And you kind of get to see. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, we'll it's we'll so, definitely check yeah, that out. It's, it's super good. You got to jump in there. It's called Supergroup. All the guys in there, Scotty, he's like, I'm in a band with Ted Nugent. Like, he just yeah. flipped, you know? Yeah, totally with you. I don't know if you can hear it, but in the breakdown section, Ted Nugent is actually cleaning his guns. So, maybe you can listen <laughs> for that. So, let's listen to Coming of Age. With liberal tears. <laughs> By uh, Damn Yankees. Let's listen. Our number 11. Okay, that was coming up age our number 11 by those damn yankees yeah let's move on to number 10 this is on the media's list and mm. this was on your list mm. but surprisingly or actually not surprisingly when you find out what it is <laughs> is not on my list it's a debut album by an artist called vision of love oh yeah by mariah carey jake do me a favor explain to us yeah the wonder of vision of love go for it it's go funny it. because i think even my wife is confused why i'm always singing the praises of mariah carey like you said it's her big debut album but this chick hits notes up in that whistle register that sure. i don't think i've ever heard come out of a human being before this was one of those voices not just in the pop space because at that time whitney houston and like a lot of these other people are there it's not like i'm putting on mariah carey songs all the time and just you know yes you are <laughs> But it's that sort of thing of like, wow, it, it just takes Is that, wait, I thought that was a dragon, but that's actually Mariah Carey on your left arm. That's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, the MC. Yeah, <laughs> MC. Yeah, fact check that one. But <laughs> even in this song at the end, you can kind of hear those, those crazy sounds that she makes. But I think, like I said, one of the biggest female vocalists ever, I would say. And this was her first single. It, it does have that typical late 80s pop production sound it almost had like a bluesy 50 sound they almost yeah, thought, and you know like a doo-wop song almost. you could tell where yeah they're pulling from different stuff so it's it's that timestamp too of like i said it's late 80s production but the voice is timeless and this is like a side note too but i remember some mr bungle like demos and live stuff and they covered this song with mike Patton hitting these notes so if mike Patton likes mariah carey i mean i like mariah carey for a little bit oh. <laughs> but anyway uh, <laughs> and nick cannon right yeah nick cannon i guess when i looked at 90s and this was there. It was a no-brainer for me. And okay. Yeah, it was my number eight, right? So yeah, she has a, she has an amazing range. To your point, yeah. and uh, I'm not a huge fan of the show-off runs that she just does for no reason. Mm. But it's interesting that she recorded the song on a demo. She was doing like background vocals for somebody else and working yeah. as a waitress and not doing anything. At a party, she got the tape to Tommy Matola, who she actually would marry in yeah, the future. Later on. Uh -huh. But he was the head of CBS Records, and somebody gave the tape to him from her. So he's like, ah. And he left the party, he played the tape in the car, and he turned around and went back to the party to try and find this girl, but she had left. Oh. It's sort of like a Hollywood thing. Yeah, sounds but, like a movie. 
Mariah found a message on her answer machine asking her to sign with a label. Hmm. And there you go. Nice. Four weeks at number one. She won a Grammy for this song. And she actually won Best New Artist for the album. But really a solid song, even though I'm giving you a little crap. Just because it's uber poppy, but she's totally. really uh, just an amazing singer, actually. Yeah. Our Christmas album is amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's still making money. It still is. And I think that's going to be her best-selling album of all time. Oh, for sure. Anyway, let's listen to the number 10 song of 1990, Vision of Love, by Mariah Carey, on the countdown. <laughs> Here we go. I believe, and I know I succeed. All right, that, that was that was vision of love. <laughs> that was vision of love, baby. Memory I carry. <laughs> that was all good. Try and hit that note right now. Let me. I kind of do my all. Let me hear it. I have to sing in my voice. Just, Just one more night with you. I'd risk my life to feel. <laughs> no, I guess I came close. I just missed it. Jake actually hit the note. Only dogs can One, hear it. One, two, three, go. Oh, it's like so high you can't even hear it. But if the dog is jumping around up and down. I know I nailed it. All right. Let's move on to number nine on the countdown. This was on your list. This mm -hmm. was on my list. Okay. And this was not on the media's list. That's fine. This song is the only song I really like about this band. And it's because they sound like another band, pretty much. Uh, the name of the band is Queensryche. Oh, yeah. And it's off the Empire album. And they do all these concept albums, which is kind of cool. I get it. But it's not mm. really my bag. Yeah, me either. But Silent Lucidity was a massive hit. It was. And it really just felt like Floyd dropped a new single. Love the guitar in the intro. The huge vocal sound. I love the reverb. Or has it just begun? And that's so Floydy. And the band comes mm. in and with the strings and the orchestra. I just love it because it's Floyd like. The ah. Yeah, I never noticed it's that. It's all actually. of that stuff. Lying next to the yeah. ah. Yeah. Yeah, that backing and, and, and the, the lush. Uh, and even Chris DeGarmo, when he starts playing guitar, has that Gilmore sound when mm. he starts doing it. So it's totally influenced by that, no matter what they say. That makes sense. Lucid dreaming is when you can dream and control the dream while you're dreaming it, which is an awesome talent. It's not like a real superpower, but it's like a superpower that would make my life just a little bit better. Oh, man. Could you imagine? I'd, I'd want to sleep all the time. Yeah, I'd be like... And uh, just live uh, this other life <laughs> in your sleep. You could be in Queensryche. That, that's Jake Stream, by the way. <laughs> I want to be Jeff Tate. No, I, and it's funny. I'm not a fan of Jeff Tate's voice or bands with this vocal style, which there, I feel like there was a good amount of them around this time. Yeah, it's he's kinda, touring on his own now. Yeah, right, doing these songs yeah, with his bald head now. This song stood apart. I don't know any other. Well, Jet City Woman, right, was the other, the rocker on this album, which I right. kind of wrestled with a little bit of which one to pick. But this one just made more sense because it was that, that timestamp of the 90s to me and a much bigger single. It is just a really good song, and I had to put it on my list, although it was number 12. What was your, what was it on yours? It was 10. Okay. Oh, we're close then. Yeah, it was in, in the space. Okay. It was one of those that I know was so massive that year that I could not, yeah. not put it on. And for same. me personally, I love the song, and I didn't like the album, but I love the song. Yeah, same. I don't like Queensryche, really. But... And Peter Collins, the album's producer, didn't actually want to put the song on the album. He's like, no, I don't think, hmm. I think she should come up with another song. 
you have way too many songs for the album anyway. <laughs> you shouldn't put that one on the record. Put oh, another rocker funny. on. <laughs> and they fought Fire that it. guy. I know. <laughs> that kind of made their career. Yep. So let's listen to number nine, Silent Lucidity by Queensryche off of the Empire album. Our number nine. So here it is, another chance. That was Silent City by Queensrank. A wonderful Pink Floyd song. So (laughs) (laughs) let's jump to number eight. This is not on anybody's list, but the one that matters, which is mine. This is my number three. Okay. And this is a band that really was one of the most influential artists in the 90s. Although their lead singer didn't live to realize that. This is Mother Love Bone. Oh, yeah. And the name of the song is Star Dog Champion. Love that song for the longest time. This was the early warning sign that grunge was coming. Although Mother Love Bone still had that 80s rock edge to it a yeah. little bit. Even though uh, Jeff Amet and Stone Gossard ran it from Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. But Andy Wood, who was the lead singer, lived with Chris Cornell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their roommate. Andy died of heroin overdose, which would lead to Allison Chains doing Wood. Yeah. And the whole Temple, Temple of the, the Dog. Dog. Yep. Just there alone, it influenced Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Alice in Chains right off the bat. And it was so impactful to what would occur for the rest of the 90s, I think. I love the kids singing on the chorus, by the way. I saw a documentary on this. I don't want to go too Malfunction. far. Malfunction. Yeah. yeah. And that was the name of it. And they walked through his whole life before he died. They showed them actually recording Star Dog, and they brought all these kids from the inner city that he was trying to go and help in Seattle. And they came in, he spent the time in the studio with them. And then they came in and they sang on the chorus mm. at the end of it, which you'll hear them sing. And Apple's just a really good album. I mean, I listened to it again in preparation for this. I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't remember how good that album was. The thing that I always think about with Andy Wood, people say, well, what if he would have lived? They were, gonna, they were just ready to break. Mm-hmm. This was their first major album. They were going to like blow up. They had a EP they put out already that was successful. And this was their big first major full album they were going to go full bore with. The rest of the band was talking to a manager for their tour. Soundgarden and a couple other bands had started to gain some traction. Yeah. Alice in Chains. Mother Love Bone was kind of at the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. And then he died. And we always say, well, what if we would have lived? And I'm like, if he would have lived, would anybody know who Eddie Vedder was? Right. It's kind of right. weird when you start backing that up, right? Yeah. And I'd rather have an Eddie Vedder than an Andy Wood. I don't know. Andy, Wood, Andy <laughs> Wood's pretty spectacular. It just I, would have been different. It, it, totally. And that's only coming from you know this point in time with the history of, of Pearl Jam to be able to say something like that. But that's a good point, too. I think when you listen to Mother Love Bone, don't listen with expectations of like grunge and all that because it was predating that. It was kind of laying the blueprint for a lot of this stuff but didn't like really come to (laughs) encompass that sound yet so it had its foot in both camps yeah right like you said it's kind of coming from the 80s space but getting into this thing we don't even know yet that's kind of like where the music direction is going so a little bit darker yeah and i think you can appreciate it in in that space but um you really have to set it apart and not put on this sort of preconceived ideas or expectations of what the band is so let's listen to star dog champion my number three, but our number eight overall. Let's take a listen. I'm a star, I'm a 
that was Star Dog Champion, nice. our number eight. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's for me. It's like, so 1990. Drake had another vision of 1990 when we start talking about his number three or our number seven off of the Porno Graffiti album. This had to be on your list. No. Not at all? Nope. Not Shut on my up. list. Extreme, more than words. I kind of had, <sighs> it, it was one of the ones that were like on the edge of mine. It was sort of like, do I go silent lucidity or do I go more than words? And one more of them, than I, words. No. As a guitar player, if you think about it, it's... You don't like Nuno? I like Nuno, but not in the song. I like a lot of his other songs this album. I, I actually, couldn't tell you another actually, song on this album. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I remember listening. I had this album. Right? Mm -hmm. But more than words, after so long, I started to hate it. Yeah. Not with a visceral hate. Not necessarily... I'm not saying it's a bad song, but I started to hate it. And, yeah. and if I'm putting my list together... I can't put a song I hate on it, even though it was very popular. But did you ever come back around to loving it again? No. Because I think that's what happened to me. No, I think Van Halen 3 killed that for me. Yeah, I mean, Gary Sharon was... <laughs> yeah, that was his, like, one weird ticket. No, in all, in all fairness, it, it's very much your romantic life at that point. That was a, a part of it, right? To some degree? I don't know. I was 10. You were 10. You said you had it's... you had your virginity cracked at 8. So you you were still playing at this point. That, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. It was the... Oh, so much trauma. <laughs> it was the lunch lady, right? It's that, uh, crazy. better than the lunch uh, mister. Oh, my. Well, we found out something new. It was the lunch mister. I'm apologizing. This song, nobody doesn't know this song. No, no I, I understand. Um, and because it came out in 90, and I think it's a song that continually to this day people hear it and they're like yeah and like me some people can't tell you another song off this album but no, I'm with this you. is the only song extreme ever had to write you know in terms of um success but also a really good song despite being overplayed and being sick of hearing it so many times i think nuno's guitar is really good minimalistic kind of approach but really good and then just the the vocal harmonies between them both and the cool thing i like is the um, slapping of the guitar. yeah it's percussive right he, like I said, like, there's a whole band in Extreme, I guess, with Gary and Nuno. Well, that was the thing. People saw the song <laughs> yeah. and they thought they were a duo. Yeah, because they're sitting there they're the only two watching them playing sing. in the video. Yeah. yeah. But it was it's a huge song by accident, I feel like. It was just something they put together and it just was really well done. And I don't think that was ever their intention, but it still is such a huge song. And it came out in 1990 and I feel like without putting this on here, I would have been doing a disservice. No, I'm, glad, I'm actually glad it made okay. the list because it was actually just offline in all fairness. Mm -hmm. The harmonies actually lift up that chorus, mm. but it's soft to yeah. almost a fault. And there's really no yeah. dynamic shifts. And at the end of the day, the lack of dynamic change in the song at all. It just was, it was the same note all the way through. Well, if you listen to music. Even with the like, harmony, the energy. Like, no, 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 the no, no, but different. the harmonies are there. But the, the same note, same chords, the same attack. There was no dynamic shift. And I think if they would have changed it or You wanted them to hit that distortion pedal, right? And all of a or sudden. No, no, no. It doesn't have to do like something really cool and a bridge, do something different. It was just kind of, it just the same. Yeah. And for me, it was just at the end of the day, when I started weighing my options near the bottom of my list which is where this would have resided <laughs> <laughs> that I, I kind of just went out. I mean, but it, it would be on top 15 probably. Okay. So right. I know you love ballads, so I knew you were going to put it in anyway. So it's all good. They love me. <laughs> you love the drums in this. That's the that's your favorite part. <laughs> yeah. I air drummed in this song. Yeah. More Than Words was the song that everybody loved, mm -hmm. and I can totally see why it would be on this list. As our number seven, seven. More Than Words okay. by 
extreme off of porno graffiti, which is the only graffiti that matters. Our number seven. That was more than words by extreme, extreme rock and roll, extreme. The song extreme. doesn't sound extreme at all. <laughs> that was extreme. <laughs> but let's move to the top six. We're halfway home and we're getting to one of the most important songs that didn't make your list. Oh, okay. And this song is one of the most iconic songs of all time. I have an idea. It's by a fellow called Garth Brooks. Yeah, I knew it. And Friends mm-hmm. in Low Places. People forget how huge Garth Brooks was. That's true. He outsold the Beatles. Yes. He was on NBC. He sold out New York, Central Park. Biggest by far. Blue out Simon Garfunkel. Yeah. And he's still massive. This is the song that started it all for him. And everybody knows the song. The iconic open four notes and you know what song's coming. You don't even need the whole thing. Yeah. As soon as that hit, you're there. And this song wasn't actually written by him. He used to do demos for people. And he used to be the singer that came in, and he could sing anything. Like, if you did a yeah. rock demo you needed, you needed a country demo, you needed anything, he he could sing it. So he was a studio singer. And this was the last demo he ever did as a singer, as a session singer. Bud Lee and Dwayne Blackwell wrote the song, which they came up with one day. They were having lunch with some of their buddies, and the check came. And Lee realized he didn't have any money, but he said, don't worry, because I have friends in low places. <laughs> I know the cook. They started writing from there. That's great. Garth, after he recorded this, he said, I'm starting to be a solo singer. They're like, yeah, yeah. He goes, can you hold this for me? Because I really want to do this. And they both said yes. He felt really amazed by that. Garth, oh my God. That album, No Fences, is unbelievable. And obviously Mm -hmm. it's country. If you're not in the country, you'll still like Garth Brooks. Because he was the one that actually got me in the country in the first place. I think it's true with a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, because I saw him in concert. Like I saw like the, the NBC show. I was like, oh my god, he's playing like an Aerosmith song or what? Or whatever he's doing, and he's playing like we saw the Central Park. I'm like, I'll see him when he goes. And then my wife got into him, and we saw him like three times. Mm. And I actually saw him at Vegas, which was crazy good. He was there on stage for two and a half hours, him and an acoustic <laughs> guitar. Really? That's it. What year was that? That was oh probably ten years ago. Nice. That was he did he did when he was on hiatus. Yeah, uh, they kind of got him in to do weekends, so we got to go to one of the shows. It was fantastic. It's almost better to have that sort of intimate. It was very like, intimate. Like, it's a big like, Vegas venue, like, but so. no, it was like two hundred fifty people, and it wasn't the um, three hundred people. The Chris Gaines is that what he was doing for a while? The oh, no, but Chris Gaines that was thing. that was a whole nother sidebar, and maybe we'll get to into this. We're going to be doing Garth Brooks next season, so maybe we'll oh, get right. into that. That's right. At that point, but. It's interesting he wrote his own verse to this song because he's like, that's not how I would have handled it. Because all the story about him going to his a wedding reception of his old girlfriend. And he's like, I wouldn't say that. So in concert, you'll hear him do another verse.
hear that on the live album, you'll hear right, it. If, and if you see him at concert. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, I originally had Garth on my list because he dominated with this album. I remember being in school and there was like a, people had their Garth Brooks shirts. There was like one guy, this one kid had boots and like those the button up with that sort of print, the nineties country print shirt. Like it was in the country hat. Like it was, yeah. he was like the guy. And I think he kind of to your point bridged country for a lot of people to kind of step in there and be like, Oh, I like country. And he kind of made that work and introduced that for people. The weird thing, just real sidebar. If you're looking, I am into Garth Brooks. Let's listen to him. Guess what? Amazon music. Only place you can listen to him. What? Exclusive. Amazon music. Not streaming. on Spotify he or anything. He's not on any of that and hasn't been. Took, There's a few of those and people And it took left. forever to go on, just like Tool. Garth tried to do his own <laughs> thing uh, first, his ghost music site, which, yeah, why not? Which, which you can buy it and just download it, because he's so massive anyway. Mm-hmm. And he actually released a couple CDs still and with no streaming. And I have his albums on iTunes, because I bought all of his albums and I own all of his albums. I own most of them on vinyl. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, I'm, of country music, Garth Brooks is the center for me. And our number six song overall, Friends in Low Places. We all know it. Pick up a beer and sing along. <laughs> and I'll be okay. I'm not big on think I'll slip on. Number six, Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. What a voice. Amazing. From one voice to another voice. This is both on our list. I think from here on, they're all on our both of our lists at least. Oh, good. And occasionally the media joins us in the party. But number five is another massive song. Friends in Low Places, massive song. Yeah. Next song, massive song. Different genre completely by the captain of Parachute Pants himself. Yes. MC Hammer off of Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him album. You can't touch this. My number five, Jake's number nine. I'll take mm. the lead to start off. Do it. You can't listen to this and sit still. This song, I don't care who you are. I'm just like bopping and Yeah. Something moving. some part of your body is gonna be like ruined. You have to move. Yeah. And it's the brilliant use of Super Freak. He uses this better than Rick James ever did. Yes. But yeah, the rap is solid, very pop. It's not really gangster rap at all, obviously. And, yeah. I, and I love the breakdown intro. That's why I became Hammer later and dropped the MC because people are like, mm-hmm. you're not a gangster. Stop that. Hammer time. Stop. Mm-hmm. Hammer time. And I like his breakdown. It's like, just for a minute, let's all do the bump, 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 bump. And the parachute pants, you see him sliding across. Yeah. That was such a massive thing. Everybody wanted to do that. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate. Those sort of uh, stylistic things that, that people tried to copy. Just like... um, I had parachute pants. Yeah, I, I think I tried to, and I, I failed because I just got like big, stupid sweatpants that were baggy, and I thought I was being MC Hammer, but they weren't. It's just like, what, remember Crisscross? Has that come up in any of these? Um... Uh, Crisscross? I don't know. I think we may have talked about it once. Because I yeah. remember being in school and everyone wearing their pants backwards. That I mean, I didn't do it, but it's just one of those things of like, oh my God. Jake wore his pants. He's wearing his pants backwards now. embarrassed. Yeah. My underwear, but not my pants. TMI. But yeah, this this song, how can this not be in our top list? And I'm I'm glad that it's in yours because I would have had uh, I would have taken umbrage if it wasn't. It has to be. It's a signature song. I think I was a little bit more of a MC Hammer super fan 
because I had a lot of his albums on tape, not just this one, but I was like, I discovered this and I went and like wanted to buy up all the other albums. Oh, wow. And they're okay. There were some good tracks on some yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. On this next but one. Get this. Next so, one and after that. So then much. around this time, and I think I still have this in a box somewhere in my toy box. I have an MC Hammer figurine. It's about 10 inches tall. And that's a good side to side when you push the button or something? Well, it came with a boom box. You push the button and it plays like this stupid looping beat. And he has sequin pants that are like oversized. And it side to side? Well, you had to do that. Oh, you kind of got to have to make yeah. MC Hammer move on your own. But man, I, I, I think it's in a box in a closet, and I'm gonna pull it out and I'll send you a picture. Oh, of this thing. yeah, you gotta we'll because put, we'll I still share that have with everybody. this thing. I should put this on eBay. I asked for it for like Christmas or something. I don't know, and I got it, and it, for some reason it kind of stayed with me all these years. In my little MC Hammer doll, <laughs> uh, Hammer used to be a bat boy for the Oakland A's, and that's how he got his name Hammer. Uh-huh. Because he looked like baseball legend Hank Aaron, who was known as Hammer and Hank. So that's, they called him Hammer. What? Some members of the A's actually started financing Hammer's rap career. Yeah, because he's from, he's from Oakland. That yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so, because he was representing Oakland. There you go. MC Hammer, obviously he didn't spend his money wisely. <laughs> yeah, he went bankrupt, right? Yeah, he went bankrupt, and uh, I think he's Christian, and I think he was he actually is. preaching for a while. That's why even those old albums, it's kind of what drew me to them, was that he had that sort of element. Like, We Got to Pray, yeah. is that song? Oh, Pray, yeah, he had a song. Actually, that song, they sampled We Care A Lot, the drums. Yeah, for Faith No More. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that at the time. So that's what kind of... You like, should have. I know, right? My cred is suffering. All right, let's listen to our number five song overall, You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. My, 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 my music hits me so hard, makes me say, oh my lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I to run and do like it feels good when you know you're down? A super dope homeboy from the old town, and I'm known as such, and this is a beat up. You can't touch I told you, homeboy, you can't touch this. Yeah, that's how we living, and you know you can't touch this. All right, that was You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. All right, number five, I have to say that as white as humanly possible. <laughs> All right. No, it's number five. Uh, you can't touch by MC Hammer. And let's move over to number four, which if anybody ever heard me sing would be the perfect song for that. It was on my list, but Jake had it much higher. Oh. It's off an album called Violator Yeah. by Depeche Mode. The song is Enjoy the Silence, and it's Jake's number one, but our number four overall. So, Jake... Take it away. I'm not sure how this ended up as my number one. I mean, I really, this is my favorite Depeche Mode album. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was just looking at all the songs that I had selected, this one kept rising up and taking to uh, the cream of the crop here. But there's a lot of good tunes on this album, but for some reason, Enjoy the Silence was always one that stuck out to me. And I always thought it'd be neat to like cover the song or like reinterpret it or whatever. A it, thrash version of Enjoy who the Silence. Knows? Or just like, yeah, to maybe, I think other people have covered it by now, went back when I had the idea. It's a really cool when you were 10. tune. Uh, yeah. No, I think it was about out of my teens, at least at this point. Okay. It's funny because in their career, Depeche Mode, they were very electro pop, but then at this point they got a little bit darker and kind of what we would call maybe the industrial sort of rock, like where the Ninth Nails bands would come in. And you know they weren't quite there though. They right. were definitely had totally. their techno. Base. A lot of the, the the guys who took the torch 
from that point would probably look at this album and look at this band as kind of paving that way because it is that sort of amazing synth pop feel but some really good melodies and hooks in there and it was amazing this album this actual song is the one that broke them in the u.s this was like by far their biggest hit in the united states bigger than personal jesus yeah oh this one's like i didn't even know that okay yeah I would have expected that one. This is the one that, that one. broke it because they had a mm. video of Dave climbing mountains dressed like a king in all these videos yeah. and sitting with a lawn chair. Yeah. Silly, but it was, it made an impact. It became huge. And obviously I think this song is way too long. Well, there's also like a weird ending part. The radio the video, cuts that. The radio yeah. cuts that. Yeah. From where it goes, enjoy the silence. You know what the, yeah. enjoys, enjoy the silence, that part. And yeah. then there's like another two and a half minutes of the song with like the synth band yeah which is just like this crazy yeah no one no everyone skips that part of this (laughs) (laughs) the chorus hook is great though i love it but it's it's really it's just kind of interesting because it's it feels 80s but it also was like um you can see where it was heading and i think that's kind of what's special to it of sort of paving the way for that 90s but i think if you ask trent reznor and a lot of these people they would definitely tip their hat to uh depeche mode that the path that was sort of they did a brilliant thing i mean they had a thing in la where they were going to sign for the night before their album came out and they were going to sign but they let all the communities know that they were going to be there and all their fans they had fifteen thousand fans show up in la for signing and before they even there there's fifteen thousand kids lining up the riot police show up Mm. the riot police start shutting some of it down so they got there for four minutes and then they had to leave because the riot police were shutting the whole thing down and they were like we didn't even have to sign anything this tape was shot just before things got really bad hundreds of police summoned riot gear had to come in they rushed to the scene to control the crowd estimated up to 15,000 people out there who had been waiting for hours even days at warehouse records on la cienega and third just to get autographs the group showed up at about nine o'clock and signed autographs to promote their new album called violator a record store clerk says it soon got very scary as people were pounding on windows to get in the group was whisked away for their own safety there are reports of several injuries cuts and bruises and broken bones people uh are still there police are still there right now trying to get that crowd under control we will have an update later on in this newscast it's great publicity and they were on the front of every newscast mm-hmm. in america the night before their album came out brilliant and he's like i couldn't have scripted it better it worked great yeah and it's not even a gimmick because this album like i said this is one of those ones that's always in my uh my, my cd book underneath my seat in the car of like it's a start to finish. Maybe there's a, a track or two that you'll skip. It, it's heavy, but also very melodic and and poppy. And I think they really just married all of those worlds together. To and it's so interesting that Martin, when he wrote this, he was a guitar player actually for for Depeche Mode. Uh, he wrote this. He did it on an organ. Yeah, it was more like ballady, right? And it was Originally. very slow. And then they kind of injected some life into it and made it more of a dancey. Yeah, and, and the producer and uh, Alan Wilder. Wanted, yeah. wanted to give it a chance and they said just go in the other go away and we'll come back yeah <laughs> and do this and it was his song it kind of felt weird and then they hated it yep the first time they heard it then after they really got into it like well actually it may not be bad and then dave's like dave the singer we had a sense that it was going to be something groundbreaking enjoy the science was just mart which is martin gore playing piano and i think he was quite upset that everybody took it in a different direction but it made the album cross over into another cosmos. Damn. That's what he said. It's a great song, and it made my list. What was your number? 
It was my 11. Oh. It was between that and Personal Jesus for me. I, I yeah. went back and forth. Ah, this is the bigger song for them. So I made my last song. And it yeah, was your number one. So obviously it was a. And like I said, it just it worked its way up there to me for number one. Surprise. Did you have also. Depeche Mode action figures? I mean, no. If they made them, you better believe I would. <laughs> or maybe they do. I better go on eBay. Anyway, let's listen to Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode by Violator. Actually, I'm not going to play it, but just I'm going to give you 20 seconds of silence. Here you go. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> no, I'll play the song. You better enjoy it. Oh, play it. Brian Mallet somewhere who's very upset with me. All right, here we go. Enjoy the silence by Depeche Mode off of the Violator album, which arguably is their best album ever. And especially yeah. here in the U.S., I think most people agree. Truth. So we've gone through 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Already? Yes. And we're down to number three. Three is after that. A top three. A top three song that we all have on our list. By all of us, I mean me, you, and the media folk. Oh, we all. All. Okay. And the media is higher than mine, but yours are higher than the media on this one. By Jake's favorite band of all time, Alice in Chains, Facelift. Oh, I don't know. Man in the <laughs> Box. We talked about Alice in Chains in episode number seven. So if you want to really dig into mm. Alice in Chains, Jake knows the peeps in Alice in Chains, had dinner with them. <laughs> slept over, had some casual sex with some of them. It was crazy. But uh, anyway, but go if you, you'll find out all about it in episode seven, so go back to that. <laughs> anyway, let's not talk about this, the sexual escapades. Let's more talk about the song. It's your number four, but our number three. So lead us oh. off, my friend. Like you said, my favorite band, their first album. And I don't think Man in the Box is their best song, but it, it surely was their biggest it one, caught yeah. everyone's ear. Put them on the map and made everyone pay attention to this important rock band that was about to bring a bunch of goodness to this world. I almost picked We Die Young, but I, I figured Man in the Box is like the one to That's go the one. Yeah. I mean, whether or not you like that song better, it's yeah. a, it's, that, that's what you have so, to do. So, yeah, it's, it's 1990. Like we, it's we not quite saying, Mother Love moment, but they were pretty important. <laughs> and that's the funny thing, like to look at that sort of time capsule of what they were coming from. And to just inject a grungy feel to the melodies and the good song structures there, but to give it a little bit of balls, like some some blues with some bottom end. Yeah, and at that time, you had the the people who were kind of moving in that direction. You had Nirvana, um, right. Bleach, and Alice in Chains, Facelift, the really first big album to hit. Mm-hmm. Men in the Box is great. The one thing that always kind of put me to the side is they'd say... Jesus Christ, deny your maker. They really want to support the song. And I think that may, says, made a drop in my list. We'll be wasted. Yeah. They're saying like, you know, if you die, deny your maker, there's consequences. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I don't think that's what they're going for. Probably not. But, yeah. you know, even, I mean, obviously, they were truth talking, is truth, even when it comes out of. They were uh, talking about censorship <laughs> and animal cruelty as the metaphor for censorship. Right. Putting man in that same box right. you put the veal in and all right. that stuff. Yeah, I get it. But, but the song itself, despite kind of the if you want to peel back the layers of the onion, even people who don't like hard music, they hear this one and there's something undeniably catchy about this song. Oh, yeah. The, the guitar. I love the tone. Simple, right? Yeah. But it's like. Grang. 
gunk, gunk. There's just something about no, that. No, but You're Jerry's like, guitar boom. tone is freaking yeah. amazing. Right, right. Jerry's the man. Although the talk box is very Von Jovi. It is, right? But he did, he didn't even use that until more recently. Again, he brought it back in. But it really the, helps this pop tune. So yeah. It works out. <laughs> actually, in all fairness, he does it really well. And I actually like and, the way he does it. And especially fairness. because Lane is matching vocally he's like hitting those notes with his whine and his angsty vocal approach that is only lane staley yeah, yeah. and this i think is just a good little snapshot of of what they were doing and the sound of allison chains this is the last song that lane staley performed with allison chains mm-hmm. to close of their set at camper arena in kansas city missouri but they kind of fell into you know their solo projects for a while and they always thought they'd come back together and then yeah. in 2002 but they died. were all they were all a mess right now yeah well actually okay. they came back together but with, totally. with william there instead but yeah but each of them would say like you know that could have been us too they were all oh no in, i'm in with great you. need of uh and you know uh, them so i mean not, i mean and well you went to i mean how many people bit. said they can they went to dinner with uh, jerry and all that that's pretty cool and mike yeah yeah and mike and oh sorry i d- didn't want to not drop it up there <laughs> <laughs> Get it right. Uh, you know, this was nominated for a Grammy. And the interesting thing about Man in the Box, I didn't realize this. Between the years of 2010 and 2019, this is like a weird, like, factoid. This is the second most played song on mainstream rock radio. Wow. Between 2010 and 2019. What's the first? I don't know. But, <laughs> but I know that this was the second. That's what I mean. There's something about it, like... It's, it's it was friends super... in low places surprisingly yeah right <laughs> it was uh it was smells like teen spirit by the way that that would make sense yeah because they're very polished radio and i think that's a genius thing to marry the two to be like you you appeal to these sort of people who want some like you know some meat to that riff but yeah, yeah. you also have to appeal to the people who want that catchy sort of melody there and be like oh yeah and the video was crazy good i mean it's like yeah. if you looked at the the sewn shut eyes were really just creepy. yeah right the visual effects of it oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah oh my gosh man in a box by allison chains facelift a wonderful album and yeah you know it would even be better if william sang it i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 no, I was just playing. Beep. Uh, but but uh, William is actually, he's, he actually, if somebody has to step up and fill a void, yeah. you see he does a pretty good job of it. Yeah, he does. He's not too well known outside of this, but enough to bring his cred, but oh, also to do justice. Yeah, just to make sure people understand, William Duvall yeah. took over for Elaine Staley in yeah. the band and in he's 2006. From, he's from Comes With The Fall, which was his original band, which has some really good tunes also. Yeah. All right, let's listen to Man in the Box by Allison Chains off of Facelift, art number three. That was number three, Man in the Box by Allison Chains. Two more left. Dun, dun, dun. Drum roll, please, Jake. Number two on the <laughs> countdown. You thought you got away with it, but you've been caught stealing. <laughs> Our number two. That's the number two. By, uh, Jane's Addiction oh, off of Ritual du Habitual. I'm not, I can't speak Spanish. I like to do the accent, but I cannot. <laughs> 
Cool. Uh, the media had the most, so media talk about it. No, I'm kidding. This right. is the media's number two song overall. This was my number four, your five, and our two as well. Really cool. Wow. So when everybody links in, we all the points wow. line up. So the two chords following by the dog barking really pulled me in so well. In yeah. fact, when I, that starts, I can't help but freaking bark. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you got to sing, sing along with the dog because I know I can hit those notes. <laughs> dog is actually perry farrell's dog annie trying to get into the vocal booth yeah he brought him to the studio right brought him to the studio and he started jumping in and that actually was just just live they just left it yeah and they left it when you hear it you're just like oh they just put in that like dog sample yeah for some reason but yeah now it makes sense of like yeah just like and and it worked and it's like it's so it's that's iconic song yeah Uh and navarro has that cool vibe with the guitar and avery's bass line is great Perry's vocal attack really just sets him apart generally. Yeah. What's so funny is like Perry Farrell's voice is really bizarre. Like, yeah. It doesn't fit, but only with this band. And that's what truly, I think, sets this band apart. But each person in this band doesn't make sense. But that's what makes it fit together. It's kind of like maybe this is a stretch to compare them to The Who, where I feel like The Who is like this weird amalgamation of different guys that doesn't make sense. But now, yeah, Perry Farrell, like this vocalist, this weird guitar player, this drummer who's like super talented. Like Stephen Perkins is yeah. one of those like guys, you know, and then like I said, Eric Avery, they're all really cool and you throw them together and they make this thing that shouldn't exist, but it does. You just got to acknowledge that. Wow. So it's number three or two. Two. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, number two, been caught stealing. Caught. Yeah. Caught. caught, caught uh, uh, <laughs> that's New York in me. I was going to say. Yeah. I've been caught stealing. You have to talk to Vinny. That's what happens in New York. And, and you talk to Vinny and I... Haven't been caught stealing, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know, but you may know. And you better know, because you don't want Vinny to be your enemy, man. Let's listen to number two. Been caught stealing by Jane's Addiction. Let's listen, baby. All right, that was Been Caught Stealing by Jane's Addiction. Good tune. Our number two. Makes you want to party. That makes one more left. What could be the best song hmm. of 1990? But it was high on your list, and it was high on my list. Huh. In fact, I almost wrote another song, but I went with this one because it was so iconic. Although it's an acoustic y song mm, by one of my favorite bands of that gear black rose shake your money maker she yeah. talks to angels jake number two my number two and our number oh. one overall so i'll let you start with it jake go ahead there's there's so many songs you could pick off this album jealous again was the other one i was like I was so i was torn he was torn well that, 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 this whole album's fantastic yeah and their next album's fantastic and i read a book hard to handle by the drummer oh yeah steve black, gorman steve gorman mm-hmm. And oh my God, what a fantastic book. If you like Black Crows at all, read that book because it tells you the story of everything that happened from when they were in Mr. Crow's Garden, which is what they started at, yeah, to the Black Crows and how they came to be the Black Crows and how Rich and Chris get along really well. 
whatnot. Yeah. And the the band problems and the fights and everything in there and it's it's kind of from a it weren't even saying a middle like, middle view. Like business wise, this band shouldn't have succeeded, right? Because you were saying something about with the management. They had a loophole or something that sort no, of like yeah. saved after Shake Your Money Maker, the record label had a certain date that they had to pick up the option by and they forgot. Mm. The management of them was waiting for it. And as soon as they went by, they're like, hey, guess what? Let's renegotiate. And the Black Crows ended up getting back all of the rights to all of our songs from the first album, too. So through that new negotiation, they just went from having a really bad record deal to a really good one. They retroactively got all the rights to Shake Your Money Maker and their album contract. Yeah. And then later on, they were, skip it again. And they got got (laughs) another option to do that later on. That's so crazy. All the stuff that went on is so amazing. Yeah. But yeah, but this band or this album, I should say, you have leverage when you put out this album. Like this is one of those classic rock albums, good tunes. And the other band, the All Nighters, that I was in, like we covered twice as hard. There's songs you could play off this album that everyone all of a sudden knows, sure. and they'll they'll sting along and just like they're they're right in there with you. Yeah, totally. Anyway, back to she talks to angels. The really cool thing is it's, it's an open E tuning, which is kind of weird. Mm. Rich plays a lot of stuff in different tunings, and I think he even wrote this. Back, they would say back when he was like 17, when they were just brothers, you know, churning out songs. They were in Mr. Crow's Garden. Yeah. This and, and so this had its roots even before, like they had this, the full band and the sort of like outlook that they have. But I think what's also noteworthy to say is it wasn't cool to be playing classic rock sounds like this at the time. Nowadays, you have like we make fun of the Greta Van Fleet or like these bands that are kind yeah. of trying to do that resurgence and rightfully so because it's a great sound like there's something about that 70s rock in the zeppelin era yeah but the black girls weren't trying to be zeppelin no they that's weren't where the difference but, is. but their influences are on their sleeve you can tell the stones and the sort of oh, the, totally the, bluesy the blues yeah, 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 and, yeah. To, and covering even blues you know yeah. standards but at the time i don't feel like it was as cool as maybe today it is a sort of thing to like kind of do that tip of the hat are you saying sound. Greta Van Fleet is cool no I'm saying they desperately want to be yes <laughs> but I think all that to be said Dirty like, Honey is cool but. The, yeah yeah and there's some bands that are out now that kind of get it and they're they're doing it and and kind of reinterpreting it that way and I think the Crows had it they didn't have everything in their favor at that time because that wasn't what was happening yet but I, but what, how huge this first album was? Yes, right, and that's what I mean. Like the songs were still undeniable, and it was like it, they were solid classic. It, like you, you put on the classic rock channel, and you're going to hear any number of these songs if, off this album. If they were not infighting as badly and ridiculously as they were right. infighting, right? We'd still be talking about they'd have uh, so many black crows like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, of the they'd day. be huge legacy be, yeah. for sure. Yeah, they'd I mean, they're already, they're already Van Halen, big, the, but... the big name bands that we'd yeah. be talking about. But if they could figure out how to make this business work, of black yeah. crows work, then yeah, it would definitely yeah be bigger than already what their legacy is. Yeah, it's a really just a stripped down song for this. And yeah. Some tasty fills by Rich in the beginning, and it's great how they go through the first verse, and you're ready for if she talks to Angel's part, but then they doesn't give they, it to doesn't you give yet. it yeah. to you yet, and they wait. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wise and really good storytelling too. Because the piano and the bridge is really cool. Yeah, it's it's borrowing from all the greats, even if you don't realize it. And and like we said, storytelling, it's just uh, really really well put together song. Yeah, she talks to Angels, our number one song from 1990. 
off of Shake Your Money Maker, which is one of the best albums of the 90s for sure. So let's listen to our number one song. She Talks to Angels by Black Crows. Let's listen. When the pain comes gonna make everything all right. right anyway that was our number one she talks to angels well deserved that's right bitches <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's it <laughs> she talks to angels by the black crows well we made it through but rob i'm a big fan of 1990 and you did not play my song never fear yeah we have what's called mysticut and we're going to be playing a lot of the media we're going to be playing the songs that missed the cut for you, the songs that missed the cut for me. If you liked the song in 1990, it's probably in there. And especially yeah. some of the media ones, especially if you like Jake and like this, the softer side. <laughs> anyway, so let's start off with the media. Let's just start with the media. Okay? okay. The media had a lot of songs that missed the cut. Starting with their number one, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> Their number three, Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Their number four, Cool Thing by Sonic Youth. Their number six, Vogue by Madonna. Their number seven, Groove is in the Heart by D-Light. Number 10, Jealous Again by the Black Crows. Their number 11, Cherry Colored Funk by the Cocktail Twins. And their number 12, Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. Let's talk about Sinead O'Connor because that was the number one. It's a good vocal performance. It really is. But? But she's crazy. It's a Prince song. It is a Prince song. And I think that's why, for me, when I saw it, I kind of overlooked it, even though it is a good song. Well, Prince wrote it, but he, right. he recorded a demo, but he never released it. And they released it like later you know, yeah. afterward. Right. It's so funny, though, the crazy stuff that happened after the song became popular. Oh, this is according to Sinead O'Connor. 
Prince invited Sinead to his mansion in Hollywood. He claimed that he alone made her famous, yelled at her, <laughs> belittled her, and she felt intimidated and he actually pushed her a little bit. And after which he left, supposedly on foot, he started following her in his car. Evidently, some it's crazy stuff happened with Prince. Yeah, she didn't want to be a pop star. She goes, I'm not a pop star. I'm just a troubled soul. And all of a sudden, she mm. got blown up in this world. Her mother was abusive to her mm. and died in a car accident in 85 when Sinead was only 18 years old. And that day, she removed the photo of Pope John Paul II oh. from her mother's bedroom. That's the one she ripped up? She ripped up. It's SNL? Yeah, from her mother's bedroom. Oh. That her mother was abusive, so she ripped it up as more of a... It was against the Catholic Church, too, but it was also... To a, her own uh, abusive mother. Not, yeah, not the church yeah, itself. Yeah, well, she's dead, so it wasn't like she was listening, but still. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, you know, it was... She, you know, she she's like one of these artists that, like, after 2015, she said, I'm not playing this song ever again. So if you want to see me, I just want to let you know, I don't want you to come to the show and think... I want to hear mm-hmm. that song because you're not going to hear it. Because mm-hmm. I just don't want to good for her. play it anymore. But yeah, she well, was, she hated the fame. Yeah, that it, that one was um, kind of highlighted in my list of of songs when I was going to look at the the final list, like we do. Yeah, yeah. But because I knew that Prince wrote it, um, but also knew that she made it her own. Yeah, her version's um, quite different than Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I didn't know the whole thing, too, because what's funny with the SNL thing, that wouldn't get you banned today from SNL to rip up a picture of the Pope. But for some reason back then in the 90s, that was like such a taboo thing. So it's just kind of interesting commentary on on that time. Yeah. Well, let's move on to yours. Jake, you had three songs that missed the cut. Your number seven, Blue Sky Mine by Midnight Oil. Blue Sky Mine. Number 10, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now by CNC Music Factory. And your number 11, Ball and Chain by Social Distortion. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Surprisingly, maybe to some people, I'm going to go with the, the CNC Music Factory song. Okay. Everybody dance now. When I was first getting into music, if I bought a tape, it was on purpose. And I was going to listen to this thing. And I remember my mom got me this tape. She was getting her hair done. And I was in the salon sitting at the reception area with my tape player, my Sony Walkman, listening to this album over and I would like flip it and then listen to the next one and it was just ingrained in my head. I wore this tape out not just because it was the only option I had but I thought it was genuinely a really good album. And still do obviously. Yeah enough to be noteworthy and I think in terms of 90s like I would put this right up there with the MC Hammer stuff because I feel like to this day it's one of those songs like everyone knows this song. Maybe not everyone on this album but this song is one of those ones that maybe not timeless but definitely is a timestamp of the 90s and 1990 specifically. And yeah, it, it dominated the airwaves. Extremely catchy. And the video was good too. Dance beeps. Yeah. And what was really cool too, which I thought was interesting in, in kind of researching the song is that 
at the time when they would play this live, they had like the, the live drummer, like it kind of incorporated, which is what I miss about this sort of stuff. Instead of sampling pre-recorded stuff, they would replicate it live. There would be like live instrumentation and it would, it would sort of be still a, a band vibe. And there's still that Millie Vanilli stigma on what's her name singing over Martha Wash. Z- yeah, it's Zelma Davis. But actually, but, yeah. the, but the weird thing about Zelma is she sings on every other track almost. Yeah, on there. Besides Which is the, fine. Yeah. Besides the two, I never took ones. issue with it because it's like, yeah, this, that happens all the time. Someone sings. A, but you know, you had to feel for Martha though. Martha, yeah. Martha was overweight, right? And she sang the "Everybody Dance Now" part. And, you know, she had been a member of the Weather Girls, you know, It's Raining Men. Yeah, yeah, totally. She's she's got her, uh, she's paid her dues and definitely was, I guess if they had paid her outright from the beginning, I think maybe it would have been a different story. But I think because it was so shady and kind of just trying to Yeah, she wasn't in the video. It was just the, you know, the the super hot other girl. Right. And there's probably a time I would have been ashamed to like admit owning this but looking back i was like yeah this is this may good, be the time good actually. album yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna own it and send your hate mail so i guess that leaves me i had three songs that missed the cut my number seven cowboys from hell by pantera <laughs> My number nine, Suicide Blonde by In Excess. And finally, my number 12, Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson. What a fantastic song. You need to listen to the whole thing. For guitar players. No, but it's just fantastic. The whole thing. <laughs> Is but, that your pick? Um, torn. We talked about the other two. So let me talk about Cliffs of Dover. I remember hearing the song. My mouth was open. My jaw was on the floor. So good. I saw a live version of him playing this. Oh my gosh. He does like this whole intro and it's like three and a half minutes. And you think that's good enough for the song and then he goes into the song and he has a really good groove plays the melody line through it but also with amazing finger work fantastic all the way through just like a thing that you want to aspire to as a guitar player to come up with something like that so perfect so technically difficult but also has a nice groove has a nice song has a nice vibe and there's no singer to mess it up and it's just pretty much that <laughs> eric just said it was a fluke it really was i remember writing that song my mom was actually rehearsing and she said that's a really nice song that's going to be something <laughs> and i thought yeah that's just another song but she was encouraging it was one of those songs that came to me in five minutes it had a nice melody a nice joy and i guess by default it worked out somehow it wasn't a typical time that would embrace instrumental pieces but it did it won a grammy for best rock instrumental it's so phenomenal, so clean, so clear. Even though he has some dirt to it, the way he plays is so technically great. Articulate on the fretboard. It's rare to see that done so well. I saw him at uh, Nam play some stuff, and of course he played a little of that song yeah. at Nam at the Fender booth. Oh, neat. Yeah, so he was just standing there, and I was like, oh my god, I have to be there yeah, for that. Yeah, that's cool. So, let's be kind and rewind.
Let's go back to the top 12 songs for the Dirty Dozen for 1990. Remind everybody of what they were. Let's start off with number 12, which was Thunderstruck by ACDC. Number 11, Coming of Age by Damn Yankees. Number 10, Vision of Love by Mariah Carey. Number 9, Silent Lucidity by Queensryche. Queensryche. Uh, Number 8, Star Dog Champion by Mother Love Bone. Number 7, More Than Words by Extreme. Number six, Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. Number five, You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. Number four, Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. Men in the Vox by Alice in Chains, number three. Number two, Been Caught Stealing by Jane's Addiction. And the number one song of 1990, She Talks to Angels by the Black Crows. What a bizarre but well-rounded top 12. Yeah, it is. It really is. In two weeks, we're going to be doing... The best of the 90s. So we're going to take all of the highlights from all the shows that we've done. We're going to take wow. everybody who's done a show is going to give me their top 12 list for the 90s. And we're going to push it all together, spin it through my algorithms, and spin out to our top 12 from everybody. And you and I are host it. It's really a lot of fun. We did this with the 80s. It's probably the most popular hmm. of the 80s. So... Please stay tuned for that. It's going to be so much fun. Going to have a blast. And then we're into next season. Keep voting. We have a massive one going on as I'm speaking, which is what I call massive bands, which is like ACDC, The Beatles, Rolling Stones, U2, Kiss, mm-hmm. Journey, The Who. Eagles. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't believe that U2 won. I mean, they are fantastic and it's just going to be a blast, but... I would have thought the Beatles or some of the other ones would have won, but you two won. So I'm excited. So we're going to be doing that next season. Hashtag editing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. Super it's fun. Always, it's always, always a blast when it you're is. on. And uh, hopefully we'll do a, a bunch more next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to it. We have a bunch of good bands we have on the way. And thank you, everybody, who's been paying attention to this podcast and yeah. make it through to this point. Uh, it's not hyperbole. Say I love all of you. I really appreciate the time that you took to spend with us. So until I speak to you next from the best of the 1990 show, have a wonderful Christmas season or holiday season, whatever you celebrate. And I will speak to you soon. All right. See you in two weeks. Hmm. God bless.